Welcome to the Paranormal Brothers Podcast. A while back, I was watching TV, and I believe it was an episode of Mysteries at the Museum. I really enjoy watching that show. They're always coming out with the neatest things. They talked about a case that really intrigued me. It was about a woman who testified from beyond the grave and helped bring a man to justice. I want to dig a little deeper into this case, revealing more details. In February of 1979, in Chicago, the fire department was summoned to an apartment fire. Now, of course, for me anyways, my first thought goes to, oh, I hope everybody's out. Is everybody accounted for people and animals? Sadly, there was a body found, and it was revealed to be a woman named Teresita Bassa. Now, let's rewind a little. I don't know. Horrible rewind sound, but you get the drift. I want to talk a little about the victim herself. Teresita Bassa was born in the Philippines in 1929. Teresita came to the United States sometime in the 60s. She was a very, very kind and loving woman who enjoyed helping people and worked at a Chicago hospital as a respiratory therapist. People just absolutely loved this woman. She was a doll. Now, the reality is, unfortunately, we see many fires. It's disheartening. And many people and animals fall victim to fire, whether they lose a home, their possessions, or even their lives or someone that they love and care about. As soon as they recovered the body, they knew it was no fire that caused her death. Her naked body was located under a burning mattress, and it had a butcher knife lunged deep into her chest. There was also reason to believe that she was raped. Now, I don't believe they were actually able to confirm this or not. But due to her being found naked, they think it's a possibility that she was sexually assaulted. It is evident that after the unknown killer brutally murdered poor Teresita, that he covered her with the mattress and set it on fire. What was the motive behind this heinous crime? Was it a theft? A break-in gone wrong? Was it an estranged, jealous lover? Just what exactly happened to Teresita Bassa? Like fires tend to do, much of the evidence was unfortunately destroyed by the unforgiving, scorching lips of the flames. However, they found a note that survived the inferno. It was short and simple, almost a reminder, if you will, reading, get theater tickets for A.S. Police were suspicious and felt that this mystery person, A.S., could be the one responsible for the senseless murder. But who the hell is A.S.? They pursued countless leads. Eventually, they were all looked into and dismissed, unfortunately. Joe Stachula was a lead detective for this murder case, and one day he was contacted by a couple, Remy and Joe Chua. Like Teresita, they were Philippine natives and worked together at the hospital. This wasn't just any tip, though. Nuh-uh, not by a long shot. Not long after the murder, Remy started experiencing terrifying visions and nightmares. Remy began to see Teresita Bassa in her dreams, but she wasn't alone. A man's face could clearly be seen behind Bassa. 
What's even more, Remy Chua even started channeling the spirit of Fasa. Her husband, witnessing these events as they happened in front of him, through Remy, the spirit of murder victim Vasa told the eyewitness, Remy's husband, Dr. Joe Choa, exactly what happened. At the hospital where they work, there's an orderly named Alan Showery. Vasa had a television set, which wasn't working properly and was in search of, you know, someone to help her fix the issue, if possible. When she discussed this with Alan Showery, I don't think she had a morsel of a clue of just who exactly this man was. He was not just a fellow employee, an acquaintance. He was a serial rapist, and soon he would be a murderer. He went to her apartment under the assumption that he was going to fix her TV set. It's unknown how long he was there. After a while of being there, though, he assaulted her, murdered her, stole some of her jewelry, and set the mattress on fire. Remy Chua even went into deep detail and was able to describe exactly what the jewelry looked like. Alan Showery would end up giving this jewelry to the lady in his life. This tip obviously floored the law enforcement. They weren't sure what to think of it. The spirit of a victim telling someone what happened to them? Of course, they looked into it, though, as they did with all the calls that came through. They went to talk with Alan Showery, who admitted to going to the apartment, but that he didn't have the proper tools he needed to fix the TV set, so he went back home. The police do not believe this at all. They dig further and ask Alan's lady if he had given her any jewelry lately, and why, yes, he has. So she agrees to let the family and friends inspect the jewelry in question. They confirm that it is indeed Teresita's. Her spirit confided in a trustworthy and loyal friend and co-worker, details that no one else knew. And now everyone knew who the initials in the cryptic note was. A.S. was Alan Showery. Teresita also said that if the jewelry was found that her cousin would be able to identify it. And that's exactly what happened, ladies and gentlemen. As convincing as it was, in their heart of hearts, the detectives knew that, hey, this just isn't enough to bring this monster to justice. But when they told Alan that they knew he had the murdered woman's jewelry, well, let's just say that was enough for him to confess to the murder. He got 14 years for that crime. Honestly, I think it should have been more, but 14 years is better than nothing. There's been murderers who got off with a lot less time. Some people have a hard time believing this event. The woman, Remy Chua, a one-time medium. How can it be that a spirit came forward to talk about her own demise? Skeptics believe that perhaps Remy knew that Alan was going to Teresita's apartment to fix her TV. And when she ended up murdered, well, Remy figured it out put two and two together, or simply that she overheard Alan at work talking about the murder itself. But why make it seem like a spirit, Teresita's spirit, coming to see her? Some believe that since she didn't come forward until later in the case, she made up the ghost coming forward story due to the delay of the tip. Okay, that's a possibility. Whatever. Now, of course, that's speculation. Guessing games. I find it fascinating that a woman possibly testified from beyond the grave, making sure her murderer did not get away with it. And thankfully, he didn't. There may be a reason for the delay on Chua's part. 
One night, Remy was relaxing and ended up taking a nap. According to the eyewitness, her husband, Joe, his wife started speaking in a different voice, being channeled by the spirit, as mentioned earlier. The voice identified itself as Teresita Bassa. She shared the terrible events. We know this. But what about the delay? Okay, stick with me here. Joe told her what happened. She had no memory of what had just taken place moments earlier. Discouraged, and I don't blame him, not knowing what to believe, Joe decided for now, okay, I'm not going to the police because if she doesn't even remember this, it's just my word. Time goes by, the voice comes back, confused and sad, asking why they haven't gone to the police yet, you know, with the information given to them. This crucial, critical information, mind you. Frustrated and still confused himself as his wife, who has never acted this way before, he told the voice that he had no proof or evidence to give the police to match with this wild story that he's being told. That's when she told him about the jewelry. I want to talk real quick about the confession. Showery shares with detectives that he was at her house and left back home. He thought that while he was there, he saw some pretty nice possessions that he wouldn't mind calling his own and decided to go back to her house to rob her. He returns, she lets him in, and as her back is to him, she's closing and locking the door, Alan grabs Teresita from behind and attacks her. He takes her clothing off to make it look like a sex crime, stabs her, and lights her on fire. But remember, we still don't know if she was raped or not. It's still a huge possibility that he didn't make it just look like a crime. He, he did the sex crime itself. Alan supposedly went with the idea to rob her. But instead of doing this, immediately his actions proved to be of a deadlier intent. Her back was to him. She was unarmed. What could she have done? She was a small woman. He could have easily robbed her and left. I think he went planning not to rob Teresita Bassa, but to murder her. Even though he confessed, he ended up pleading not guilty. After a mistrial happened, he did decide to thankfully plead guilty, served his time, and has since been released. I believe his last known whereabouts were in New York, but that was almost 20 years ago. I tried to locate where he is, and it's really hard. However you may take this story, believing the coincidental theory or the spirit theory, something strong remains true. A woman was brutally murdered in her home, a place that should be a safe haven. If it weren't for this testimony, it's a good possibility that murderer and serial rapist Alan Showery would have literally gotten away with murder. I'm glad it turned out the way it did, and I hope Teresita is able to rest in peace now that her murderer was served some nice ice-cold justice. Another case about someone testifying beyond the grave takes place in 1897 in West Virginia. A blacksmith named Erasmus Shue fetched his neighbor's son to go to his house and ask his wife Elva if she needed any groceries. The poor kid walked into a gruesome sight, one that I'm sure stayed with him to the rest of his days. Elva's body was found at the foot of the stairs, her body posed in some random awkward position. The doctor who checked her body shared that he believed Elva did not experience any sort of foul play, 
and that it was likely that, you know, she just died from pregnancy complications. Okay, people have died from pregnancy complications, sure. But, you know, it was off-putting to him, to the doctor and everybody else around that her husband did not want anyone to get too close to the body, not even the doctors. He was especially protective when it came to her neck and face. He even went as far as to cover those body parts during her funeral. Hmm, I don't know about you, but I smell something fishy. Not too long afterwards, Elva's mother, Mary Jane Heaster, had begun to have these reoccurring dreams. They were extremely vivid. Her deceased daughter, Elva, would be in these dreams and she would tell her mom that her death was no accident. It was very much so intentional. Not only that, but her beloved Erasmus, who had abused her in the past, was the man responsible for her premature death. She goes into detail, sharing with her mother that one night Elva made a dinner for Erasmus that he found was unsatisfactory. He flew into a terrifying bit of rage, attacked her, breaking her neck in the process. What was eerie, every time Elva would come to her mother in what I consider visitation dreams, her ghost would always spin her head all the way around. She'd then walk away as she vanished. Her head would be staring at her mother over her shoulders. Her mother, Mary Jane, claimed these dreams were incredibly potent and lifelike, unlike anything she's ever experienced before in her entire life. Mary Jane shared these encounters with a police officer named John Preston. He believed it enough to have Elva's body exhumed. Guess what, guys? Yep, her neck was forcefully snapped. And I quote Officer Preston, On the throat were the marks of fingers, indicating that she had been choken, that the neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. Unquote. This makes perfect sense why Erasmus was being so protective over his wife's body. Officer Preston dug deep into the past of Erasmus and found the waters to be quite brackish, rather murky. Careful, officer. Erasmus had been married several times. And in each marriage, it was discovered that he was abusive and had violent tempers towards every wife he had ever had. There was nothing to link him to this death. The only witness was dead. The broken neck was enough, though, to get Erasmus put on trial for the murder of his wife, Elva Shue. During the trial, Elva's grieving mother took the stand. Officer Preston gave her advice, telling her, do not mention the dreams or visits from Elva while on the stand. However, Shu's defense lawyer grilled her on the subject. His goal? Typical defense lawyer trying to make the person look like they are crazy so the testimony would get thrown out. So, against the advice of Preston, Mary Jane went into detail describing these dreams. The defense attorney's plan backfired. The jury didn't find her to be crazy at all. They listened intently and accepted her testimony. A nice serving of justice was thrown this abusive, murderous monster's way. He was handed a life sentence, a sentence that would be cut short due to his passing away of pneumonia. Even though his sentence was cut short, guys, at least he died knowing that he damn well straight did not get away with murder. 
Another case where a child visits a parent to send a message, a very important message, one of the most important they'll ever receive in their lives, takes place about 70 years earlier than Elva's death. Picture it. England, 1827. Golden Girl fans will get what I just did right there. A young lady, Maria Martin, was planning to elope with her boyfriend, William Corder. It was discussed and planned that the young lovers would meet in a place in town, a landmark known as the Red Barn. Maria vanished after this supposed meeting. Corder frequently started mailing Maria's loved one's letters, telling them she was safe and happy. But it was weird. No one actually heard from Maria Martin herself. Everyone believed that they eloped and that all was well and that perhaps, you know, newlyweds, just busy trying to settle into the married life. But soon, Maria's mother started having these weird, bizarre dreams, horrible dreams, dreams that convinced her that something was not right. In these dreams, she was bearing witness to her daughter being murdered by her lover in the red barn. Not only that, but she was also being shown that the body of her daughter was buried at the barn. Her mother, understandably so, became very obsessed with the idea that her sweet, sweet daughter, Maria, was reaching out from beyond the grave, trying to tell her this important message. She shared these dreams with her husband, Maria's father. He decided to have the barn checked out, but really he did it more for his wife's mind of ease, you know, to put her at ease, just go, okay, honey, this is just the figment of your imagination. He wasn't expecting anything to come from this search. Well, the search became a recovery as Maria's body was found right at the location that she showed her mother in the dreams. William was arrested and found guilty for the murder of Maria Martin. And he was executed for that crime. He was hanged. This case is infamously known as the Red Barn Murder. Like in Elva's case, Maria's murder would probably have never been solved if it weren't for these visitation dreams. Or in her case, her death may never have even been known because everybody thought she was still alive. And yet another case that grabbed my attention is the case of Royal Flying Corps Lieutenant Desmond Arthur. He was killed in a tragic crash in 1913 in Scotland. Very shortly after Lieutenant Arthur's death, the base started experiencing a ton of paranormal activity from unexplained sounds and cold spots to seeing an apparition of what looked like an airman. Radios would play by themselves, even without a power source. What's most incredible to me is that of a ghost plane that would be seen flying over and only to vanish before the witness's eyes. The apparition I mentioned just a second ago, he would approach people at times trying to talk to them. Now, sadly, no voice or sounds would ever leave his mouth. Soon it was realized that, hey, this is no other than Desmond Arthur. Before the haunting occurred, there had been an inquiry into the cause of the deceased airman's crash. They found the cause to be recklessness. Well, this scandalous ruling was an embarrassment and tarnished Arthur's reputation. The people at the base knew that Arthur was desperately trying to tell them something, so they pleaded and begged. And you know what? It worked. A new investigation was opened regarding the crash. They found him not guilty of the crash and therefore exonerating him. Arthur appeared one last time in front of his very dear friends, the three men who pushed for a new investigation. It was Christmas Eve of 1916. 
He smiled at each and every one of them and then vanished before their eyes, never seeing him again. While the other cases involved murders, I found this case to be a very important one, too. There's no doubt that it was an air crash that ended this man's life, but to have his name, reputation, and death tarnished? I'm sure it didn't only affect him, but his family and friends as well. Each of these cases are very special and unique. These spirits came forward communicating with the living, sending powerful and much-needed-to-know messages. And I truly hope now that Teresita Bassa, Elva Shu, Maria Martin, and Lieutenant Arthur can truly rest at peace now. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Check out the past ones. They're equally awesome. See you next week.